<laughs> Woo! Yes. You are now listening to the sound. Sports reports is ordered. And America, we never sleep. Because sleep is the cousin of death. <laughs> Mr. Logical. You're 2-5. We got some boxing for y'all tonight. Everybody out here playing Excuse Central for one Earl Spence. Well, we all know that he from Dallas and all they do is choke. Nah, I had to get that off. I had to get wow. that off. I don't mean it. I like Earl Spence. I didn't mean it. Spoke I just like had to get that Washington off. Fan. Yeah, I had to get that off. And then speaking of Washington, we're going to let you know why they're going to finish last place in the NFC East, much to my behest. So, Mr. Logical, great fight this weekend from the standpoint of names, but I feel sorry for those who was out there spending their hard-earned money on this. Listen, I went to Vegas 2015 for the Pacquiao-Mayweather fight. It's that fight in particular, like the prices everywhere is crazy. Like I said, it was like $175 for men to get in the club. Um, you could pay like $250 to get into some of the MGM, the MGM Grand Corporation. They own like multiple hotels like Treasure Island, mm-hmm. MGM Grand, New York, New York. Like a few of these hotels are under the same corporate umbrella. And you could pay money to get into like the bars and restaurants. It was like $250, maybe up to like $400 to watch that fight. Um, we just watched it on pay-per-view. My boy's crib was stationed on Vegas. But that fight was boring. <laughs> this, this, the, the Pacquiao Mayweather fight was boring. Like, I mean, it wasn't like because Mayweather didn't do his thing. It just was like it didn't, it didn't have the, the angst and the energy, and the the competitiveness. That well, they fought like three or four years too late. Even with that, like they should have been three or four years equally as entertaining. You know, I uh, that was the last fight that I bought before I started my streaming escapades like literally i bought the fight i invited like 30 people over like seven people showed up you know i went and bought like 400 worth of liquor bought pizza for everybody i flew to arizona and drove from arizona to las vegas we met a dude on the interstate i think it's like i-40 that goes from arizona to to vegas we were driving. This dude just looked over and saw us. He was like, y'all going to Vegas? Like, yeah. He's like, and he gave us his business card. While we were driving out of early, he handed me his business card at the driver's side window. I grabbed it. And we hit him up like, yo, we watching the fight at my boy's crib. He was like, he was going to watch the fight. This is crazy. In his hotel room in Vegas. Because his boy back in like Texas or somebody was getting the fight. And they were going to watch it. They were going to put an iPad up on FaceTime. I'm like, why would you come all the way out to Vegas to watch the fight on your friend's TV, iPad, FaceTime situation? I just was like, man, just come to the crib, man. We're going to have liquor, some chicken wings. But it was dreadfully boring. Yeah, I yeah, that was the last anything, any pay-per-view I ever bought. Like, ever since then, you know what I mean? It's streaming or, I mean, I got WWE Network, but that's only like $5 a month. You know what I mean? So, anyway. Anyway, so get it off my chest. It's that time of show, y'all. We're going to talk about this. So, look, 
I ain't never really done drugs before. <laughs> but I am an addict. And the, and the thing about being an addict is that we kick dead horses a lot. So I'm going to get at George Klyavkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, just one more again. Because, you know, I've been talking about the Pac-12 for like the last six months. You know, expansion, TV deals that we still don't have. You know, and like, you know, last Friday during the uh, Pac-12 media days, when we thought we were going to get the announcement of the TV deal, they asked him, you know, how concerned are you about losing a team? And he said, oh, no, we're not concerned about that right now. It's not a threat. And then three days later, we got the reports that Colorado, I did the 2-5 daily, like, why don't the Big 12 in Colorado just get a room and then the next day it became official that they were joining the Big 12, right? So I was sitting there and I was looking at this. So what do you do now? Because I'm no TV exec. I'm no corporate shill. But what I do know is that if you have a chance to argue for Southern California to be a part of your TV package, you make that happen. So we've been hearing about San Diego State for about a year now. San Diego State sent their letter to the Mountain West a couple of weeks because they had to do it by June 30th. They sent this letter to the Mountain West on June 13th or whenever it was saying like, hey, we want to leave. And then the Pac-12 announcement never came. And they was like, no, nah, just playing, just playing. We was just letting y'all know that we were thinking about it, but this ain't official. So the why that was significant is because if they would have left before June 30th, the buyout would have been $17 million. Now that they crossed that date to join the Pac-12 next year, they would have to double that and pay $34 million. So Pac-12, it was like either invite them or you're probably going to have to pay some of that $34 million to get them into your conference if you want them next year. So let's just say you wait until 2025. You got SMU, Rice, and Tulane. You talk about murderer's row of shit. <laughs> you know, these are the guys that are now being talked about joining the conference because Arizona may leave now and go to the Big 12. So for the AAC, these are the rules. You need a 27-month notice, and the buyout is only $10 million. So we should be hearing something right about now if the goal is for them to come in 2025. So you're adding, so you're potentially adding San Diego. Yeah, potentially adding Dallas if you're adding SMU. You know, you're adding Houston if you add Rice, and then you're adding New Orleans if you add Tulane. Why is, why is that important? Because you lost Los Angeles and Denver in the last 13 months. You know, so you lost two top 16 markets. But here's the thing, right? Rice in the last 20 years, five winning seasons. Tulane, four that was mostly in Conference USA. You know what I mean? And not only that, SMU has nine, but come on. Like, what are we doing? SMU has a 38,000-seat stadium that they're only filling at 22,000 right now. Act like you want the job you're trying to get. Sell out your stadium, Pac-12, do better. If you do better, you do better, but obviously... Survey says you don't know shit. Yeah, Mike is really focused on this. He's probably more focused than anybody I know on this conference alignment. How is football's my favorite? 
I'm just like I said, my college football alignment problem is like I think it should be regional. I think you just stick with your regions, stick with what you know, and play it out and ride it. Down I know you know Northwestern over in. Uh, I don't like these Frankenstein esque. You you know you know Northwestern over there outside of Chicago can't wait to take those trips to Seattle. <laughs> but it is something they got to do something to, to galvanize the fan base. Yeah, so Pac-12, like get it together. Mike said it. Just make it happen. Uh, speaking of making things happen and getting things together, I want to give a shout out to boxing for once again uh, ruining my faith in humanity and common sense and judgment. I watched the Cruz Cabrera fight. Cruz, undersized, five foot four. They call him Pitbull from 305 from Miami. Sky Cabrera is like five, eight and a half. So that's pretty substantial in a fight, you know, four and a half inches. But every single round, other than the round where Cruz lost a point, and the reason he lost a point is because Cabrera kept getting warned. So it's a 12-round fight. I'm going to realistically say he got warned 18 to 20, 22 times about holding. It was minor. Like he would hold just enough to where it wasn't egregious, but it just was messing up the flow of the fight. Mm-hmm. You could tell it was a deliberate tactic to just hold this smaller guy, be the bigger guy, hold the smaller guy, and frustrate him and get him into some, some you know, ticky-tack stuff, which Cruz fell for a couple of times. He used his head. He was, like, bouncing his head, and he was, like, leaning in because he was getting frustrated. But the ref, I'm like, listen, you should have already deducted a point from Cabrera because he literally was doing it on purpose. It wasn't like he was – being hit and need to hold him to stop the barrage of punches. He would throw these, these awkward, weird punches and then just grab. So Cruz would, you know, ball up because I'm the smaller target. You got to aim down here. So he would ball up and then he would just throw haymakers. Boom, boom, boom. He was rocking him. I'm not sure how much weight was behind it because the leverage with a guy that small throwing his punches that high, especially because Guerrero was standing up straight. He was like the whole time, never brought his hands up stylistically just as a boxing match he did not do if he just would have done this then i could give him a few rounds but he had his hands down so much that cruz was getting the clean shots every single round cabrera would punch the gloves cruz would stand like this and he'd come out he'd throw like seven ten twelve haymakers and he landed like three or four of them and then he would jab and get inside but he was landing the bigger punches cabrera would just was punching his gloves and not getting through, not getting through the guard. He didn't go to the body at all. He would dip down as the bigger fighter. He would just dip down just to hold. Like it was, it was ridiculous. It was like, I'm not an experienced boxing trainer by any means. And I've done like a few classes throughout my life. And I watched boxing growing up, but if I'm in his corner, I'm like, listen, you are five inches taller than this guy. You probably walking into the ring, probably outweighed him you know, six, seven pounds, maybe like get on top of him and throw punches. He was throwing punches from the outside and then coming in, leaning in, like literally bending his whole body 90 degrees, grabbing dude around the waist, back him into the corner, frustrating him. Then he would stand up. He he would try to take the headbutt and make it seem like, oh, my God, this guy's flitting his head at me. And Cruz is just coming out throwing bombs. He wasn't knocking him down. He was hitting him solid. But he was the only one making real power shots, landing. He was the only one really boxing. He was defending. He was going to the body. 
So then his corner was telling him, you got to knock him out. You got to knock him out. From mm-hmm. like round seven on, you got to knock him out. got to knock him out. And this is the undercard to a unification championship bout that's going on. So it was like, you are the co-main event. So Cabrera should have put on a better fight from just that standpoint alone. Like you're in a co-main event. The arena was almost packed for that fight. Mm-hmm. The first two fights that were, they were pretty solid fights. The, the first one was a quick knockout. It was probably like 1,200 people in the arena. The second fight was probably like a third of the <laughs> arena was full. By this fight, it was like people were trickling in just in case a knockout happens at the co-main event and you're already in your seat for the main event. So this was a showcase opportunity. And like he didn't take advantage of it. He he looked, he didn't put his hands up. So Cruz, his corner was telling him, unless you got to knock him out, you got to knock him out because you can tell his strategy was to simply look like he was busier and look like he was more effective and not be effective. Like Cruz didn't have a blemish on him. Like you're telling me you're this much bigger than your smaller fighter. He doesn't have a bruise on him, doesn't have a scratch on him. So the corner was telling him between, I think it's like either the 10th or 11th round or 11th, 12th round. He was like, you got to knock him out. You don't want to go just to go to the judges. And the commentators ringside, I think Al Bernstein was like, we all think that Cruz is winning this fight. But we have seen some strange things in boxing. As everyone says that, like, <laughs> they, like it doesn't need to be evaluated. It's like this comedian was talking about, don't go to that frat house. You know, rumor has it they put a lot of date rape drugs in their drinks. But it's like, so no one investigates it, like, do anything about it, just <laughs> don't go there. So, like, the boxing is like, oh, yeah, boxing judging is terrible. Like, we're, we can't do anything about it. So, 12th round comes Cabrera, who's feasibly down in this fight in my mind and even in his mind should have thought he was down he threw like 30 punches and someone said oh is he the busier man this round and it's like he's throwing 30 punches in a round where we think he's losing the fight i don't think that constitutes as busy you know like how proper boxing commentary is but it's yeah like, and i'm on a low but it's but it's like that's what i was thinking i'm like yo you can't believe you're winning this fight you haven't hit him clean you haven't staggered the smaller guy in 33 minutes, and you guys, these last three minutes, you did nothing to do change a fight. So it goes to the decision. It's a split decision. So I sat up on my couch, like, are you fucking kidding me? Split, like, who, what, what fight did they watch? Because I watched it from my crib in Jersey. They were in Nevada ringside commentating. Uh, like, I'm listening to the fan reaction. I'm like, what, what were they thinking? And then the scores were. It was 115-114, then I think it was for Carrera, and then I think the other two were like 115-114 for Cruz. I'm like, who judged this fight? It was easily 117-111, even with the point deduction. And this was like, so. and then Carrera, when he had his hand up thinking he won, I was like, what made you think you won? You did not even stagger the smaller guy, and he was rocking you all the fight. He was on that shit Haney was on. You know, I was <laughs> I didn't catch that fight. Like I was telling you, like I, I was reading the updates because I was at the bar watching UFC. So um, so I was just looking at the CBS round by round. And you know, just from me reading the round by round, I came away 117, 111, just from what I was reading. Like everything that I've read was like Cruz hits him with shot that rocks him and rocked him you know cabrera needs to be more active or like it was like in it was in there so you know it was um, like i don't like twitter or whatever like these apps but whatever you were reading x it was 
precise. It was Cruz was hitting him with the bombs. Cabrera literally, he had his, like, why do you have your hands? Like, they were at his waist. They were, like, between his ribs and his waist the whole fight. Yeah, like, I saw a picture. I saw a picture, and it looked like when when you get knocked down and the ref have you put your gloves up and he grabs your gloves, that's what it looked like. The whole fight. (laughs) And and, And even ringside, they were like, yo, you're getting hit with this many left hands, and and we get it. It's not. It's not. He never. He didn't fall, but it's like you would think he would put his hands up by now. They said that every round from the fourth round to the post-fight interview, it was literally. You think he would put his hands up? You think so? He would put so his what hands you're saying up. is, is that he didn't boxing make any needs to, Boxing needs to. The fighter, whatever the adjustments the fighter's going to do, the fighter's going to do. Boxing really needs to evaluate, do we have the most appropriate system in place? Do we need a fourth and fifth secret judge in different parts of the arena watching on a monitor to keep the three judges honest? Because you, you like every, like I said, what you were reading from your bar in Texas and what I was seeing on TV that matched up so how was it that what you were reading on social media and what i was watching that matched up but when we got the scores it was completely different than what i was seeing and what you were reading like that doesn't make any sense doesn't make any sense i get people have different opinion of like with a movie and everything else but it's like if you're watching the uh a football game at a bar and somebody kicks a field goal and they get three points and you're reading about it on getting updates and i'm watching on tv then when the score comes on the screen, it should say 3-0 because this team just kicked the field goal in the first round of the game. It shouldn't be a touchdown. Like, yo, how did we get to that? Like, what did you see? And that's right. essentially what it was. It was like what you guys scored did not match up to what everyone was saying ringside and what I was seeing from my house and what you were reading on social media. So it just was – it's just the fact that it continues to happen in big fights, it just – it just overwhelms me with the the lack of like just progressive initiative that this sport's taking on top of other things we'll talk about later as far as like boxing it's just get your shit straight because it's like it's going to be hard to watch if this ruins a big fight like another big fight because boxing seems to be getting a little momentum you can't you can't have this stuff ruin big fights yeah speaking of big fights woo. Woo! As I was telling you, you know, Terrence Crawford let go of the missiles, you know, <laughs> and he was he was laying something on Mr. Spence. So, you know, like all I've been hearing about. So I learned a valuable lesson that I should have known already. You know, whenever you go take your watch test for promotion in the military, they always tell you don't change your answer. Like, just follow your gut. And so Friday night, you know, I was going back and forth like for the last two years when this when when this fight became a possibility i was like spence all day you know what i mean <laughs> and then and then like six months ago i was like nah man like crawford is just the better boxer you know xyz so friday night i was sitting up there and i was talking to my boy you know shout out carrie doja my big man you know six foot seven amateur boxer in the past you know we were talking so he teaches me a lot about the sport, you know. So um, 
we were talking and I was just like, yo, Bud TKO in 10. And he gave me emphatic, like, fuck no. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I could just feel it through the phone, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I was like, I was like, okay, Spitz might be a little too busy, you know, like whatever. So when I got on Facebook, somebody, you know, who's gonna win? And I was like, Spence in 10. But then when I woke up Saturday, called my guys up, yo, let's go to Buffalo Wild Wings. I was like, yo, Crawford gonna win this in like eight or nine. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, I don't know. Like, but anyway, your thoughts? Uh, I think about, and I've said this before many times, I don't even know if Mike Tyson actually said this, but he, I'm he said it. He said everybody got a plan till they get punched in the mouth. He said it. <laughs> I don't know if I ever read it. I think it's just word of mouth. Like somebody said it to me, and I'm like, that sounds like something Mike Tyson was saying. And it makes <laughs> the most sense. We've seen it happen most recently. Uh we could say Deontay Wilder, the second Fury Wilder fight. I think Wilder felt like, oh, he knocked them out in the first fight. So he probably was like, you know what? I don't really have to switch up anything. Um, I remember Coach Popovich said something about, like, you know, sometimes you'd rather lose a close game to force people to make adjustments so the next game isn't close. Well, having that draw, I think he came into the second fight thinking, like, oh, I'm going to just do the same thing. I think Ferry made some adjustments. Ferry, I think Ferry kept the weight on. I know uh, Wilder dropped some weight. And Fury kept the weight on, so he's like, I'm just going to lean on him because I'm I'm just that much bigger. So he just leaned on all fight. Davis Garcia. Garcia kept his head up pretty high, and Davis caught him with a left. Garcia was doing, he, was, he looked confident until Tank dropped him with that left hand. I think Spence was in that same boat. I mean, you, you got to have all the confidence in the world to overcome what he overcame with the accident. Um, his boxing career, being undefeated, being able to to have this many belts and this many championships and beat this many people, this Yo, much better people, better driver, Earl Spence or Holly Berry, Chloe Kardashian. <laughs> <laughs> so, like to overcome, like I mean, that's that's a lot. That's a lot of resilience. So you get in the ring, and Bud just hit him with that. That sh- it was like a short jab. I didn't even I didn't even see it. Like I watched it. My TV downstairs, like, you know, 50-something inches, pretty big TV. And I was like, I didn't see him get hit by it. But what I saw in his face was, oh, I got hit by a jab, and it put me down. I don't think that's even probably in a sparring session. Probably never happened to him where he got hit by a jab by a guy he's comparable to in size. And it puts him down that aggressively. He didn't like he just like boom, flat down. He looked up and where's a ha ha Davis? Oh, y'all boxing, boxing. <laughs> so when he stood up, and then around, the you know, shortly ended after that, I just felt like Crawford knew then that oh, this element that I implemented in training camp is going to work. This jab, I'm gonna catch him with it every time. And then they they kept screaming out his percentage. They were like, Bud Crawford was landing 58% of his power shots throughout the fight. Every round, they just kept saying it. 58, he's landing the 58% clip, like the accuracy. Like, 
No one lands at a 58% rate in this level of fight. And he just he just kept walking him down, walking him down, walking him down. And then Spence had to switch up what he was doing, and he was backing up. But Crawford didn't rush him. He was like, I got him on the ropes. Metaphorically, because he had him in the Marines. Like, I got him on the ropes. So I'm just going to walk him down. And he's like, he'd walk him down for the first minute around. And then he'd get in there. And like the last 90 seconds, he just was hitting him with bombs. Every round, every round from the time he knocked him down. When he came back out for the third round and Spence didn't have an answer, I think by the start of the fourth round, I just was thinking like, when is this fight going to end? I think it was going to be a knockout. I didn't know when it was going to be a knockout, but after he knocked him down in the second and then he dominated him in the third, I was like, okay, this this fight's going to end with the Crawford victory because normally people like overdo it and they want to rush in. He was a soft white. He just wants to rush in and end the fight. He was like, I'm just going to keep. He kept body shots. He was getting them with the hook. He was counter punching. He was, he was trying to prove a point. You know what I mean? Like, like I think he was just trying to prove like we are not the same. You know, is basically what he was trying to get at. And, you know, so I've been waiting for this for years. This is what Pusha T was talking about when he said surgical summer. <laughs> this was it. Like, Bud was performing surgery in there. Because, like I told you, and I've told, like, many people about this fight. Um, the reason why I thought Spence would give Bud trouble at first is the same reason that he lost this fight is because he's so busy, he's so relentless in pursuit. He just doesn't give you a chance to breathe. Like like he'll he'll jab you to double jab, come towards you and before you can even like plant your foot and throw a jab back, he's usually right on top of you bearing down on you and you don't even have the space to get off an effective jab normally. So so that's where I thought, you know, Bud, I was telling you in some ways, he reminds me in his last, I'd say, six or seven fights. He kind of reminds me of Canelo in that way where, like, the first four to five rounds, he's feeling you out just watching, trying to get your timing down. What's his pattern? Like, like, like they, said, they said, but normally starts slow. And I'm like, yeah, a slow start. I think it's a methodical. Well, well, you know, I learned that, like, like playing basketball, you know, um, as I got older and slower. I had to start guarding the dudes that was 6'1", 6'2". So, you know what I mean? So, so like, I would have to get under them. So, I would have, like, so whenever they were going up for, like, a little jump shot or, like, a little floater, you know, I had that, like, one, two, raise your arm. Like, I just, but, but I had to, like, figure out their rhythm because a lot of dudes today don't switch it up. Like, they just have something that works. And they just keep doing it. So, that's how I had, I had one, two, step arm up so so like so like he never gave bud another look to be like oh i didn't see that coming or oh he's doing that Cause i don't because i don't because his face said what i what i want to do isn't going to work and, and and that's why like you know i brought up pacquiao when we were talking offline i brought up pacquiao because pacquiao would come at you from different angles so you couldn't necessarily just stand there and pick him off because he would just switch it up on you in the middle of a flurry. Like he might throw two punches at you, then step to the side and throw like a punch off his back leg or something weird that you don't even do on Madden. So, 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 you know, he just came at you in that way. Spence was just on, but, but then it came to the point where those missiles started dropping 
And Spence took this man through more dimensions than Doctor Strange took America. <laughs> like, like literally, he was like, oh, this is what you want to do? I'm going to lean up on the rope and just pop off. Like, oh, you want to go to the middle? There, come towards me. I'm not even going to back up. I'm just going to pop you. You know, like, hey, you want to you want to turn sideways now instead of coming at me at an angle? You're just going to turn your body, but not actually. Yo, Spence was standing right in front of right him. in front of him. His corner was like, listen, you're standing right in front of him. You think you're moving, but you're not. You're he literally didn't... standing right in front of him because he once he got hit, like I said, it's the same thing with Garcia. Once he caught that shot. I mean, Garcia's been down before. He's, you know, he got snuck by right. a guy, whatever. He's been down and he got back up. But I think when she realized, like, oh, this guy hit me with one shot, I don't think I've ever felt that kind of shot before. And I'm down. And and Crawford didn't, he didn't overexert himself. Excuse me. <coughs> he didn't, he didn't chase. You know, sometimes you see a guy and you got him rocked. And the the guy with the advantage like chases him around the ring, like right aggressively gets he's like, listen, like this is a boxing match. The guy has to come to me in order to do anything, like to, in order to do anything. Like you can't do anything from all the way over there. So why am I gonna chase you around the ring that aggressively when I can just stick to my strategy of moving in? And he said in the post-fight interview in the ring that his camp they worked on you know like i said the verbiage right a heavy jab he's like instead of flicking the jab at him he was like because spence is too quick for that he's too smart for that he would counter the flick he was like we just worked on a heavy jab just like if you're gonna throw the jab like mean it mean it like throw it like throw it the same way you would throw a hook the same way you would throw a cross just mm -hmm. throw the jab out there and really sticking with it because like you said he's so relentless because he works his way in with the jab. Well, if he's working his way in with his jab and I'm coming back with a deliberate, like, listen, you coming in with this jab and you, you know, you, you're being relentless. I'm gonna hit you with this heavy one. And when I think when he caught him with that and he dropped, and then in the post fight interview he had with Stephen A. Smith, he said that Earl caught him in like the third round. He said, he called me clean. And I, he said, you know, this is Bud Crawford talking. He's like, I remember thinking, is this it? But by then, he had already put Spence down, and then he had basically surgically kind of just broken him down in that third round. So by the time that haymaker came, Crawford was probably already thinking, like, oh, I got this fight won. Right. And then after he kissed that, you know, he gets that little hook, he was like, oh, I definitely got this one. That's why he never – you can see you can see him never panic. He kept his guard. Like, it just it just was so methodical and just, like, it was very, it was like remnants of his interview that he had with Jim Gray in the locker room when he was taping his hands up. And he just was very calm. I saw a clip today where he did a pre fight interview on The Breakfast Club. And Charlemagne said, I think Spence is going to get you. And he didn't go over the top to argue with Charlemagne. He was like, So what, tell me what you, why, why do you think he's going to beat me? And and Charlemagne was like, I mean, uh, you know, just uh, and then Envy, of course, Envy was like stoking the flame, like, yo, was saying, talk your talk, talk your talk. He was like, listen, I think he's a bigger man. I think this. He was like, okay, okay. And he said, uh, and and Spence says something like, no, not Spence, but Crawford, Crawford says something uh -huh. like, he says something like, it was like maniacal and cool, like, 
you know, something like, would you fight me? Or what, what makes you think that I'm not, what makes you think I'm not a killer too? Or something along those lines. Like, yeah, and it was like, it was very calm. It was like a movie character calm. Well, his knockouts are very violent. You know what I mean? Like, like his last knockout, like it was literally like uh clean up on all four, you know? And you, you know, so like, I don't know why you would underestimate him in that way. Like if Spence was going to win, like I said, to me, it was just going to be the relentless style of not letting Bud have that time, as they say, you know, Max Kellerman likes to say, to download Spence. You know, like he wasn't going to have time to download him. But he Spence, just, he was Spence didn't give him a need to. Yeah. Was, well, every time he was close, like that final flurry that ended the fight, I remember just watching how clean, you know, normally, like, we think about it, was it? It looked like when Tommy the Hitman beat up Martin. Yeah, <laughs> I, know, I saw the memes. I was trying to avoid that. But when, like, Danny Garcia fought Amir Khan, and he, he rocked Amir Khan, and then Danny Garcia just started throwing those haymakers. Just, you could tell it was, like, exhausting himself to throw these haymakers. He could have just been like, you know what? I got you rocked. You felt the power. Now I'm going to continue to break you down 80%. Now you're seventy percent. Now you're not recovering, like like the boxing ticker on on like fight night. Like I'm just gonna keep making you go to your corner, round after round after I beat you for three minutes. Demoralized. I'm just gonna beat you, beat you to the point where your corner, your corner was like his corner was telling him, you got it. You can't stand in front of him. You got to move. So when he was moving, Crawford just walked him down. So he goes back to his corner. He's like, listen, you gotta like you gotta connect. You gotta you know make something happen. The commentators like, listen, Spence is looking for it. Like Spence is looking for that one punch that can change the tone of the fight. But Crawford was never going to give it to him because he's like, why should I change up what I've done for the first three, four, five rounds? Like, I've I've been methodical. You haven't I've given me a reason to. I like I don't need to. I don't need to chase you down because I know when you get over here, I'm a great counter puncher, and I've been and he was hitting them. He was he was a lot of body shots. His eyes were swollen shut. It was a lot of blood. So it just was like all of this stuff that was happening to him physically had never happened to him in the ring before at this level. Mm-hmm. Maybe as a young amateur, maybe sparring in a session when he was like 14 or 15. But at his current age and in, in his prime of his career, I don't think he's ever been in a situation where the other person across from him made him feel the way his body was feeling. Because it had well- because all the swelling and all that, like even that was like that was brand new. That's brand new territory. Well, well like I was telling you, well, like I was telling you, one thing that concerned me was Spence's last fight against Ugas. You know, is because Ugas isn't necessarily what you would consider to be a hard hitter. You know, and there was a round within that fight where I thought Spence was out on his feet. You know, where Ugas just hit him with one of those shots. Not that he was that he could have knocked him out, but he was dazed, you know, where it was like the round ended like 30 seconds after that hit. And it was like, all right, now we got to fight, you know, like now Spence can re like cover, recuperate, and now he's going to come back out. But then he came out that next round and Ugas was still dotting him. He just didn't have the power to finish it. You know what I mean? Spence ended up winning, but then I was just like, yo, 
what you just said, I was like, yo, I've never seen Spence look like that before, like ever. Like, you know, so so that's where, like, for me, where, where I said, like, six months ago is when I started to be like, maybe Bud can win this thing because I thought back to that fight. And, you know, and I had I have this theory, like, you know, it doesn't always work, obviously. But, you know, they always say, like, when you see your own blood, it goes one or two ways. Like, you know, you either snap or you raise or you get fear. Yeah. So 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 that was my question for Spence, like when he got rocked by Ugas, it wasn't enough to knock him out or anything. But I was like, how does he react to this? Like, is this a confidence breaker where he's like, that never happened before? Or is he like, I need to tighten it up and maybe I took this dude lightly or, you know, whatever. And, you know, so I don't know if one has to do with the other, but that was just my thought coming into the fight. You yeah, know, so- it too, it'd be too late to try to just, because like, I, I like... I don't mind a one-sided fight because I think it's contrary for the health factor. Because I'm like every for every knockout and all the entertainment and the, the YouTube clips, there's like men and women who get seriously hurt in mm-hmm. these fights. So like the last thing I would want is like, oh, you should just let him go. He's a champ. He should die on the shield. Nah, this is a boxing match. He should go out. Well, he damn sure would can- have. If it gets to the point where he's not going to make it, then the ref has to step in. The, the ref definitely stopped it, I believe, at the right time. I know there was the some talk on social media. Time. It yeah, was, was a some, perfect time. There was some talk on social media where people it should thought have been he should have ended it earlier. Yeah, I, I don't agree with that. Because I don't. Because like that's the thing, Spence Crawford was hitting them with timely boxing shots. He wasn't, right. He wasn't just he hitting wasn't with Tyson. Him. He wasn't hitting him with barrages of right, shots and like right. the ropes was holding him up. He was just hitting them with timely counter punches that were just very effective. Well, but it's like that, it's like being a that, quarterback, the one that you don't see, like or like you know what I mean, like yeah, you so know you get blindsided and like oh, it was a couple of punches when you saw him in slow motion, like but through like a hook over the top of. Spence and they were like as close as I'm in like this mic like it's like they were in a phone booth. He hit him with something. He like he just came over the top and came straight. It just was like a it was a weird angle, but you can tell it was deliberate. Like he had worked on getting his hand here and like coming. Over. I don't know if it was a right hand or left hand, but he came right over the top of his arm and connected. But that last barrage was just when he hit him with the one. He, I think he hit him with a right hook and like. When he hit him with the right hook and Spence is kind of like did this, he was like standing up straight like after he caught the hook and then he came in a couple, couple more and then the ref swooped in and stopped the fight. They asked Crawford and he's like, did you think it was a good reason to stop the fight? He was like, yeah, because he's like, I was ready to start hitting him with a lot of heavy shots. He was like, I was ready to start really teeing off because when he, he hit him flat footed and he was like this. Yeah, and he got he got a couple more shots in, and then the ref jumped in, and like I said, I think it was perfect timing, because other than that, he he would have he would have gone down again, and the ref would have stopped the fight anyway. He, he would have stopped the fight. He wouldn't he wouldn't have done an eight count. Like if he'd so, gone down again, he was gonna stop the fight anyway. So what now? Rematch? You do the rematch. You do the rematch because two reasons. Me being mythological, I want boxing to be more entertaining. It's July 31st, about to roll into August 1st. Spence said he wants to do the fight again at 154 in August. Granted, this was like in the ring 
post fight interview, he's mm -hmm. still sweating blood on his face, whatever. He was like, I want to do it. He was like, they asked him if he wanted to exercise the rematch clause. He's like, Oh yeah. He's like, I want to, he's like, I want to do it in December at 154. I don't know about the weight. I'm like, they have to figure that part out. Well, but, but well, I, well, I the, the clause in the contract, December. well, the clause in the contract was the winner gets to pick the weight. Winner gets to pick the weight, loser gets to enact the clause. Right, right. So I don't know who it behooves who who works out for better, Bud or Spence. I I looked up their walking around weight while I was watching the fight. They said Crawford walks around at 177 and Spence walks around like 165 to 168. You know, probably close to 170. So it's not that far off. So I just feel like Bud at 154 is probably just as effective against Spence at 154 as he was at mm -hmm. 147. Because if he can get down to 147 and still have that strength, I imagine that getting down to 154, I don't know if that extra seven pounds slows him down or maybe the extra seven pounds just works better for Spence because he doesn't have to cut that additional. Maybe he doesn't, maybe he doesn't cut down to 147 as easily as Bud. But I think you do the rematch for the sake of just getting the rematch out of the way, the belts, but put the belts back on the line. You do the rematch for the entertainment purposes, because we all know what happens in these boxing scenarios where we, the fans and the potentially the boxers want to make the fight and it doesn't happen. And then this guy, he goes on and fights someone else. Spence say he fights, I don't know, Ryan Garcia wants to come up to 147 or whatever. And they want to fight because that just that's just good for well, if I, I, I could see and Garcia and Garcia beats him. I could, I could like, see Spence. What's the point of Crawford fighting, you know, Spence afterwards? I'm not saying that will happen, but right, right, right. Crawford, it's a possibility with Joshua. Like we like uh, we were talking about it. I wanted I was I had a conversation with the guy before I deployed in 2018 about Joshua Wilder. That was five and a half years ago. Joshua loses to Ruiz. Then that just throws off the whole track. And then Wilder fights Tyson Fury at the end of 2018 and then loses the second time. Then he, he, he loses the second fight to Fury. Then he loses the other one to Fury. And now Fury is just fighting like random people because it's like Fury Joshua. I don't know if that resonates with the boxing committees, not necessarily the fans. I think the fans will love it. Mm -hmm. Wilder Joshua, I don't know what belts on the line if either one of them has one, so I don't know how that appeals to the boxing committee. I know as a boxing fan, we I'd want to see it, you know, the mm -hmm. Bronx Bomber with you know Joshua. Joshua's like a, a good dude. He's yeah, great. especially he's all the trash they were talking between each other. And all the trash talk is like you got a six foot seven guy, a six foot six guy. Like we need the heavyweights. I love these welterweight fights and these catchweight, band weight fights, these lightweight fights, like welterweight. All these fights are dope. But nothing beats like I'm like like I'm not a big boxing fan, but Holyfield Riddick Bow, Riddick Bow, you know like even Buster Douglas Tyson Tyson Holyfield Lennox I mean like these fights are legendary. We still yeah, talk yeah. about you know like when Mike Tyson was knocking the dude out and was trying to help him up off the ropes. I mean they just was like chaos. Even James Tony moved up the heavyweight mm -hmm. when Roy Jones is moving up and getting knocked out. It's like 
we love these fights. These are memorable fights. I'm not saying we didn't remember Pernell Whitaker fights and the Magic Taylor fights and Hulas Chavez fights and De La Hoya and all these other guys. They had memorable fights too and Mayweather. But it's like Mayweather didn't have any contemporaries. The heavyweights seem to have more guys that can fight at a heavyweight and they make the least amount of fights. So Spence, Crawford so- to December, make it happen in between all the football chaos. Hell, do it at goddamn Dallas Stadium, the house that Jerry built. So if I remember correctly, um, for Bud, besides the rematch, Boots Ennis would be... I don't know who that is, so I don't even want to fight. Hold on, hold on. I'm about to tell you who he is. He he would be the mandatory. This this is why this is important, because, you know, I got to get my stat off. You know <laughs> Got to get my stat off. You so, so, this stat, I'm gonna rip this paper up and throw so, it. See, so, I don't give a hell about none of that. So, yeah. so this stat comes from Lyle Fitzsimmons at Bleacher Report. Um, so Boots Ennis is uh he's 31 and 0 with 28 knockouts, first of all. Hasn't he doesn't really have the name on his resume yet that you know pops or stands out. Yeah, keep in mind he's got about like 18 powder puff fights. 18 but hold on, hold on, hold on. I got you. Hold on. All right, all right, my and bad. It, it is in his last fight. It was his 20th knockout in his last 21 fights. And in this streak of these fights, it only took 58 rounds to get there. So an average of 2.9 rounds per fight. I mean, he, so, no, he's the, he doesn't get the fight Crawford. But anyway, so, so you got that option. You know, he could go to 154 and fight Jamel Charlo, provided – Canelo doesn't rearrange his face in September. So Jamel Charlo or it's like Jamal, right? Yeah, there's there's Jamel and Jamal. Yes. So Jamel okay. is the one fighting uh, Canelo. And um, so Jamel, so Bud could fight Jamal him. Jamal is the one that just had the altercation with Caleb Plant. Like, Correct. What is he yes. And Caleb Plant, who's what is he fighting at? One is he a one fifty? I believe he's a little heavier because. Uh, uh, I can't. I got to look fight. it up. But, fight? I'll look it up while you keep going. Keep but, going but yeah, so 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 Tim Zhu, you know, spelling like Costa Zhu, um, is the next WBO challenger. He's the next mandatory challenger, and he's an interim title. So he would theoretically be next up for Jamel. So even if Bud were to take that route, we're probably a year out. So you know, from that, if it were to happen, so rematch makes sense to me. <laughs> Um, I'm sure just the way boxing works and the way people do these things, and you just alluded to it yourself, you know, Spence's people might want him to fight somebody else in between. So yeah, I, don't, I don't I don't know I don't know if that makes sense though. I, I know, know, but I don't that's know. just how it works usually. So I don't know if you okay. look at it, I don't know if you look at somebody like a Keith Thurman, maybe. If I'm okay, you, you you're the promoter for you're Spence's promoter. Uh-huh. I am Crawford. I represent Crawford. What is the benefit of Spence fighting anybody before the rematch? The like, only what, the only benefit I can come up with, the only thing I can come up with, and this is where you get into like the sports psychology, you would have to know your fighter, you know, all that good stuff. So I would say something along the lines of maybe he just needs some more confidence again. Like maybe that fight, took so because people i mean you know of course there's like people talking and like we get ridiculous and overreact we 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 overreact 
So people are saying like, hey, he should consider retirement. And oh, and like all, I'm not going there. But you but lose one fight to a guy that's kind of strong. Who might be the boxer Omaha, of this Nebraska. generation? You do some Omaha, Nebraska. All they do is fight. You know, say like, much up going on. I say fight. I say fight Crawford because I don't think you're gonna get any confidence unless you fight a guy that's bigger than Crawford and you beat him. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that guy, like. Maybe you meet Caleb Plant because Caleb Plant is at his middle super middleweight at 160 to 168. You get him to meet you at 154, and then maybe you fight a bigger guy that comes down to 154, and you go up to 154, and maybe you win that fight. Maybe that gets you confidence. But I think you're running the risk of boxing making Crawford now fight somebody else. And, and it still doesn't matter if Crawford comes back and says, like, yeah, we're staying at 147. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's like, I think the best case scenario is to just get back on that bike you fell off of and go back out there and fight him again. Because if the goal is to fight him again, Crawford isn't going to get worse at his skill set. He's 40, and 0, 31 knockouts. The last 11 fights have been knockouts. So the likelihood that you fight some cupcake in January and then fight him again and and fight a rematch in June, I doubt Crawford's going to get worse between July 2023 and May, June, you know, Cinco de Mayo 2024. So you're better off just get back in there, get ready, get back in the lab. Because instead of making adjustments for a whole new fighter and then winning, maybe losing, maybe going a distance, and you don't look as good to the public now. So now it's like, oh, he fought, you know, some guy and it's supposed to be a cupcake and it goes 12 rounds. It's like, now you want to fight Crawford again? And the public doesn't buy it. People are ready to buy, literally financially buy the rematch because they're like, there's no way it could happen twice. That's what people are saying. They're breaking out the excuses. They still talking about the car accident. His skin looked dry. His mouth looked dry. His eyes, I saw, I read a report. Somebody said his eyes looked dry. His skin looked dry. He looked disoriented. I'm like, then why didn't you call a fight before you went in there with a, a dude who was getting paid millions of dollars to punch him in the face? If I got a guy, if you told me you didn't feel like doing the podcast, I'm like, we'll just do it tomorrow. <laughs> if you're not feeling well enough to sit here and talk, right. I'm like, okay, we'll take a break. If this guy really wasn't feeling up to the challenge of fighting Crawford, then you call it. Yeah, you but you know that. Game. But you know that he's not, not going to say happen. that. Yeah, yeah he's not going to say that. Like, even if he loses, he still got the payday. So you know what I mean? Like, you're not trying to give that up. So you know, and there's a lot of obviously logistics going to all this. I just you know, say like, save the excuses. This 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 era of social media, people just like. People like to put their problems out there with this expectation to get some sympathy out of it. I'm like, I'm not giving you any sympathy, dog. Like, you lost your fight. I'll give you, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt that you are a competitor and you went out there and you put your you, you put your body on the line for the sake of these belts and then subsequently the sake of public entertainment. So I'm not gonna tell you like, oh, you fucked up, you're a bum, whatever the case may be. But if you have like, if you have a real problem, that's not for me to know. Right. That's like because Ryan Garcia said the same Write thing. Write a book about it 10 years from now. 
just go in your lab. Go to the people who can help you with that. Go to the people who can help like, who you. Was it? Was it uh, Pacquiao talking the about the uh, the torn the shoulder? shoulder. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like tell me that ten years later in a book. Well, both of your shoulders were torn, and you weren't hitting them with either hand. You were hitting them with <laughs> you were hitting the rope. So like you didn't do shit the whole fight. So I, I don't care about your shoulder. I get it. You're injured. Whatever. Don't overdo in a training camp. I mean, like people go like you know you sign these contracts. Don't hurt yourself training. I told my son he's, he works on the gym for the football team. I'm like, there's nothing worse than getting hurt in the locker room before the season starts. Yeah, Don't be there it, trying uh, to deadlift 400 pounds. Like, for what? Like, It was a dude on the T-Wolves. McDaniels, like, uh, punching the fucking wall and broke his hand right before the play-in. Right before the play-in. <laughs> like you don't have a you you don't have a Jalen Brown contract in the waiting. Like you can't just be out here ruining the thing you need to play basketball. Ankles and hands, knees, ankles, hands. You can play with a mask on. You know what I'm saying? Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. You know what I'm saying? You need all of that to be a successful three and D guy. But yeah, so like like I said, I, I don't like I don't like everybody coming out with excuses because it just it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense because like he doesn't look the same. He looked the same in the first round. You know what the worst? He didn't knock down the first round. You know what the worst excuse I've ever heard is. In regards to this, or just in general? In general. Let's hear it. We'd have won the Super Bowl if it wasn't for the field. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't for the turf. If it wasn't for the turf. Oh my God! Yo, shout out to CJ Garden. Like, I hope he's healthy. You know, he got. I know he got injured uh, Dallas in Detroit practice a few days ago. Hopefully he's injured, but like, yo, y'all got to stay off Twitter or X or MySpace or Yelp, whatever, whatever you guys are typing your opinions and your feelings. Get off Reddit. Go talk to a shrink. Just talk to talk to a chaplain. Talk to somebody who doesn't legally have to share the information and get it off your chest in their office. Because when you guys go to Twitter, you sound ridiculous. The turf complaint for the Super Bowl <laughs> is by far the absolute worst because the boy Sky was wide open. Sky Moore was wide open because same play. He, he if you watch quarterback, I'm not, I'm not giving away anything, but literally Patrick Mahomes is in the shotgun and he goes, "It's cover zero. So he knew exactly it was cover zero. That's man to man across the board. No safety help. They're sending a couple of people. So he put Sky Moore in motion and then zigged them back out, and he was wide open. And that was that was the second touchdown of that same kind of play. And the first one was Kadarius Tony because they were in the same thing. Cover zero. Who's also goes, hurt again. Yeah, my man stay hurt. He can't grow eyebrows and he can't stay healthy. I don't know what's going on with him. Uh, so, yo, tell so, everybody how uh, top 10 Daniel Jones is going to win this division. Uh like, I know, like, when you, when you look at it, like, <laughs> when you look at it in a vacuum, my, my thing is this. When you have success as a quarterback and then they pay you money, a mistake he got away with in week one last year, he can't do this year. Yeah. So if they go now, let me pull up their schedule real quick. Cause I think their week one game, what do we got? That's the Falcon schedule. Go back. All right. So the Giants week one game 
is against. So they got the week one game against Dallas mm-hmm. at home. And then week two is at Arizona. If he doesn't make the plays, like if he as an individual, not the team, I don't need a strip sack. I don't need Thibodeau just to have a two and a half sack game and they're just a terrorist on behind the line of scrimmage. If Daniel Jones isn't the guy making the plays that says his his play is the reason why the Giants won, he's not going to get a lot of confidence from people outside, the media, the sports pundits, maybe within the locker room. But if they're out here winning games 20 to 17 and he's out here still doing, the reason I said he was top 10 last year is because I think the quarterback, I won't say the quarterback play dropped off. I just thought that what he did as a dual threat, which is not a term you use with white quarterbacks a lot, but what he did as a dual threat quarterback was substantial. 700-something yards rushing, seven touchdowns, 15 passing touchdowns. Granted, he didn't pass for a lot of yards, but that's still pretty – that's 22 total touchdowns, and his team made the playoffs. But when they gave you $40 million and then they barely gave Saquon $10.2 million, you can't just give it to him – 30 times a game and hope that that's the thing that's going to get you up. You're going to have to, you're going to have to have a week two, a week three game where you throw 322 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I wrote down in my notes. Like maybe the got to have a couple of those games. Maybe, maybe this season he can throw for 20 touchdowns and 220 yards in nine games. And that would be progress. So $2 million a touchdown. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that sounds outrageous. But, but it's the is, truth. That's that's just, that's the state of the NFL contract. I don't know if they should. I don't know why they gave him that money. That's just that's neither here nor there. Um, but I don't. I have them going. I got them ten and seven. Uh, simply because I think, I think Washington's gonna give them two wins. Um. I think the defense is pretty solid. Brian Dable, if you think about his years with Josh Allen, his second year with Josh Allen was a big step, but he also has Stephon Diggs. So it was, like, it was a lot more in play. There was no Tom Brady in division. You know, so they, they had other things. And then Josh Allen is a talent. Like, he's a tank. If you think about, like I said, think about the tallest person you know personally. Josh Allen is 6'5", 240. Now, think about your friends that you know that are tall. Right. Any of them that big and move like that. Like I have, like I said, I got a few friends that are 6'5", 6'6", 6'4". None of them move like Josh Allen. So it's it's a pretty, like, unique skill set. Daniel Jones kind of has that same body type. Uh, so, like I said, I like the Giants. I think they play great defense. I just don't know if the money – is going to be a distraction if they start out, you know. Three and three. Three and three, or they're one and two after San Francisco, or even potentially up to one and four at Miami, one and six, one and five at the Buffalo. That's realistically, that could be the case. You got, if San Francisco can really figure it out, I'm not sure they can. But it's on the Thursday, so it's a short week. So, you, but you're playing in Dallas. 
So you're at home for Dallas, then you're at Arizona, and then you're at San Francisco. So you you won't go home between Arizona and San Francisco. It's on Prime Video Thursday. San Francisco, if they don't have the quarterback situation really figured out, if Brock Purdy is their guy, like I, I just don't know. I have no idea what they're doing with the quarterback situation. But so is their defense the, good enough to sneak that one? I think so. If I mean, if you if San Francisco doesn't have the quarterback situation figured out, mm-hmm. then I think the Giants can go in San Francisco on a Thursday and steal one. Because let me pull up San Francisco's. Well, they, like, like, they, like for me, real quick. I'm listening. Keep going. So, yeah, yeah. So for me, I like a lot of what the Giants did this offseason. You know, I do like the Waller pickup, even though, you know, like I ain't necessarily like them taking him away from his wife and everything. But, you know, but it was a nice pickup. You know, uh, they got Jalen Hyatt in the draft, you know, has the potential to be still in the draft. Um, they they lost Richie James to Kansas City, but they did gain Paris Campbell from Indianapolis, who I do like, a little injury prone, but I like him. And they got Jamison Crowder as your uh, vet receiver. In case something does happen with Saquon, because he's been known to miss a game or two, you know, they did pick up James Robinson, you know, and – they have Eric Gray out of Oklahoma. So I like what they did there. Where I part a little bit is I don't like the loss of Julian Love, you know, at the safety position. You know, 124 tackles gone. You know, and also they were last in the league in forcing interceptions. So, you know, that's not necessarily a good sign. I mean, they, they get and they didn't really bolster they didn't really bolster their defensive line either. Because right. the defensive line is how you get interceptions. People think right. it's the cornerback play. It's not. It's the fact that the defensive line makes quarterbacks throw the ball a half Quicker. a second yeah. or a second early. Right. Consistently. So that's what I don't like. So so for everything that I do like as far as those receivers, it's just dependent on Ken Daniel Jones get them the ball effectively and get them the ball in stride, all that stuff like that. I think he's actually an underrated shots. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think he's an underrated deep thrower, you know, but he just doesn't do it a lot. Overrated. He just, he just doesn't do it a lot. Cause we have a guy in our group that's constantly posting about his deep pass accuracy. And I'm like, yo, he, like I said, anytime you post a, a stat for your quarterback and Andy Dalton, is also top three in that stat. Like, just, just don't toss share it that. out. Toss just it toss out. that one out. And that it was. It's a lot of. It's a lot of those analytical kind of stats where does it come? It comes down to this simply: Can he take the play action deep post route shot when it's there? Will he pull the trigger or will he pull it down? Because for a quarterback to be a dual threat that big big arm big body and moves that well he probably should have had more than 15 passing touchdowns it's not a wide receiver because there's only so much that a corner can do he can't hold he can't jam you can't hit him in the head and like it's the the league has tailored itself to getting wide receivers open deep right deep crossing routes and things like that is like are you throwing that route when it's called or are you not calling it? Like they Brian Dave will not call those kind of combination routes where you have like these these deep over routes and maybe some go routes and then maybe some stuff underneath or the play action deep shot after a turnover where they didn't get a lot of interceptions. So do you get the ball at the 50 yard line a lot? And then are you taking that shot? Because if Kansas City gets a fumble recovery at the 48 yard line, 
you can Lights almost out. guarantee they're gonna they're gonna take a shot with someone. Miami's gonna take a shot with Tyreek Hill. Cincinnati's taking a shot. Josh Allen's taking a shot. Jalen Hurts is gonna take a shot with either the Slim Reaper or AJ Brown. So even Tannehill off the play action is gonna take that shot. Like, are you is your offense advanced enough to take that shot? I think even Dallas would take one of those kind of shots, especially like mm-hmm. you get that midfield turnover. Or are you going to be methodical and give it to Saquon Barkley and let him get, you know, two and a half yards on a cloud of dust and just, you know, so are you going to be able to switch it up? And I'm not sure. I think their defense and their run game and, like, I think that the confidence that Brian Dable has and Daniel Jones will squeeze out a couple more victories. But I'm not quite sure that he gets the ball back down 24-20, two minutes, 30 seconds left, no timeouts. Can you – move your team down the field right. for a touchdown. Yeah, so I got them 9-8 and eight, uh, sneaking into the wild card. Uh, Dallas, I was actually tempted to pick Dallas to win the division because I really like the Stephon Gilmore pickup, you know, especially now that they're going to be re-signing Diggs, you know, so that would be a good mentor for him to kind of hopefully stop all his Asante Samueling. Yo, he you know, is up so many yards. I know, it's like fifteen hundred it. yards. Well, it's like I told you, it's 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 like that was the difference between Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa. Like you know, Barry Bonds could get a home run, you're gonna walk him. He could get a single, he could get a double. Sammy Sosa it was either home run or strikeout. Sixty six home runs, one hundred and seventy seven thousand yeah. strikeouts. Yeah, and, and, and that's, <laughs> that's you know, but that's an exaggeration, I, folks. Calm down. But but I also like Brandon Cooks. You know, I like the Brandon Cooks pickup because now he doesn't have to be a number one. You know, you got him across from C.D. Lamb. You know, you still got Michael Gallup. Uh, the one note, the one loss that I think could bite Dallas to some degree. It's not going to be an over. No. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, not, 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 that wasn't where I was going. I was going to say Dalton Schultz because I feel like him and Dak had a certain rapport, you know, where he was Dak's get out of trouble card, you know, when things broke down, you know. Um, it's but not he was a, like, but he was in the he was in that area where every tight end kind of functions. Well, what does I'm saying? It wasn't a big. It's not going to be a big loss as far as, oh my, Dallas's offense is in trouble. It's just Dak now has to find another safety valve, if you will. Yeah, but like I said, Dalton Schultz kind of operated in that same space where most tight ends kind of operate. So you just get another guy, another pass. Well, they got Escobar as well, so maybe and it, you know, and it would just be right in that same spot. It's, you know, like if we think about like a guy like Kittle or Hawkinson or Waller mm-hmm. or Kelsey, those guys were. Like one game, Waller, Derek Carr threw him the ball. He had twenty targets. Mm-hmm. So if you losing him, right, for, would be a big would, impact. It was a yeah. big impact. But Dalton Schultz is one of those guys that just kind of operated. He operates in that same area with like Fryer Moose or like Hayden Hurst for Cincinnati, or even like like Kyle Pitts. They want Kyle Pitts out, you know, out in space and making mm-hmm. these Kelsey Waller kind of plays. But he might be better suited being in that Dalton Schultz. You know, ten yards, bump off a linebacker, bump off the safety, and do like these nice little curl routes. But like, as long as you can get a a tight end that can catch in traffic or a tight end that can beat these linebacker matchups, I think you'll be replaced. And and we saw Tony Pollard with the injury in the playoffs. You know, Tony um, Pollard got injured. He's on the tag. You know, they got Mike Davis. They got Rojo, who's suspended. 
And then they just picked up Deuce Vaughn, who was all a five foot six from Kansas State. So, and then they got the issues with the offensive line holdouts, you know, Tyron Better Smith. cut that check. You know, that's going to be a big, now that'll be the big impact if that doesn't get resolved. If, yeah, if, if Dallas doesn't resolve, because I like Dak Prescott, but letting Dak cook is probably not a great idea. He did he did put up a lot of numbers, like his last couple of healthy seasons, something like 4,900 yards. Well, I mean, he led the league like in picks last year. Touchdown. He led the league in but, picks last year while but missing if we, five games. But if we look at some of those things, man, he threw a lot of interceptions that hit his own Dallas teammates in their chest. Hey. I mean, listen, I can't I can't do anything for you. Like if if I cook you food and put it in front of you and then later you tell me you're hungry, I'm like, I put the food right in front of you. Oh, I didn't eat it. So it was a lot of those passes. Like, I mean, hey, I people don't give those excuses that. to people like, uh, you know, to Josh Allen. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Josh Allen is third two and he's throwing deep bombs in a double cover. <laughs> That's a different story. Zach <laughs> is throwing slant routes and hitting guys in the chest. He's like, oh man. Well, and Brandon Cook's going to take off. some of those slants to the house, unfortunately. Brandon Cook seems to be like a hired mercenary. I'm not sure. If Provided that he doesn't get knocked out again. Left. Oh my God. The Super Bowl when he got knocked yeah. out. I would have retired. Yeah. yeah, so so you know, so so I was tempted to pick Dallas. You know, I think Dallas, like I, I said this like one in one of our very, 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 very early episodes. You know, like it's always fun to joke on the Cowboys about this is their year, this is the year, all that good stuff. If Dallas if Dallas can't last three years, if Dallas can't get out of the NFC this year, I don't know when it's gonna happen. But it's that's the thing. Like uh, I saw, like Philly is the only team they should line up against and feel like they might be better than us or they are better than. But us. we always, we always have these preseason. This is the only team worth worrying about. And then last year, Minnesota went like thirteen and four. You know, so, and the people are like, oh, they're not really a real thirteen and four team. I'm like, listen, they went out there and they won thirteen. And games. what happened in the playoffs? Yeah, they lost. Yeah, it happens. So who? Lots, uh-huh. Everybody, uh-huh. everybody except for the Chiefs <laughs> lost in the playoffs last year. So 13 other teams lost. Not everybody lost year. to Daniel Jones. <laughs> Listen, that's at not, home. That's neither, that's neither here nor there. Some people lost because they didn't have long enough cleats. It happens. <laughs> With Dallas and the, I want to say the not, they went 24 and 10 the last two years with Mike mm-hmm. McCarthy, but yet they keep the conversation because I think we we I think we as the, the media that's us now people they exhaust the Dallas conversation to the point where you just come up with just random stuff like what you sent me a couple weeks ago what's Dallas toughest game of the year yeah, what's the like, most important game of the season which is completely irrelevant as long as you win your division or you get the wild card like that's all that matters so you can go seven and ten, and if you win your division, that seventh game you won was the most important game. I'm sure there's That's somebody out matters. there. I'm sure there's somebody out there saying, if we didn't run into San Francisco the last two years, but Philly ran into San Francisco, and they would have beat them with a healthy Brock Purdy too. Oh yeah, easily. So speaking of Philly, speaking of Philly, you know, uh, third all time in single season sacks last year as a team. You know, they picked up T.J. Edwards from Chicago, you know, lost Jason Hargrave to the 49ers. So I, I expect their defense, they lost, you know, a couple of corners, you know, so that's going to be a different defense, even though I think overall 
they still have the majority of their core. You know, Brandon Graham with 11 sacks. They added Jalen Carter, who doesn't have to come in right away and be a star person. They basically said, listen, Georgia, send us all your relentless tacklers. And I mean, why not? We already got Eagles jerseys ready for them. Why I'm not? a Falcons fan, and every single year I'm like, why don't we have more Bulldogs in our draft class? You're right <laughs> down the block. I'm like, they are already – Because DJ Shockley messed it up. Listen, they still got DJ Shockley on the payroll. He's like the film analysis guy. That, <laughs> he's like the film analysis social media marketing guy. So he's still on the payroll. <laughs> we, we we brought in Todd Gurley for a little bit. Then he told him not to score against Detroit. He did it anyway. And I'm like, maybe that's why we don't have Georgia guys on the team. He's either <laughs> here or there. Philly, like, granted, this is probably unlikely. But, like, I was going through their schedule. And I'm like, they can't go 15-2. and two. No. No, they won't. It, it just can't. It can't. But I'm like, I'm looking, and the only reason I put the two because it's like they're not going to go 17 and 0. Well, the secondary is like I think is a little more cause for concern than it was, you know. And then my other issue is, if something happens to DeAndre Swift, you know, he's only missed you know five games or so in his three years, so no big deal. But if he does go down. You're, they're relying on Rashad Penny, who misses all the time. Like he's already missed forty games. They're gonna career. just run the QB rugby scrum with a hey. They'll just out, put a tight end at quarterback. Bring out the Nebraska baby. They'll just yeah. They'll just bring out like some tight end and have him play quarterback, so Jalen Hurts doesn't take too many unnecessary hits. And just <laughs> move the pile that way. I think Philly will be fine. I think the offensive line is always solid. I think and, they. Like Philly for the last like I don't know I'm just an arbitrary number like last ten years just seem to always control the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. from the time that I'm gonna say from the time that Vic was there because Vic was always Vic was never a pocket passer. Well, they got rid of Philly's fourth down play, right? I don't think they I don't think they lever, leveraged. I know they that were out. looking at it. I know they were looking at it. I think it just I saw something they got rid of the like the the. The, it was like the, basically the push. The little pop pass. Yeah. The pop pass they got rid of. Like you can't hand the ball up in front of you in like an RPO situation. Yeah. That's something that I saw, but no one really talked about it. So I'm not sure how accurate it is or if someone's interpreting the rule incorrectly. But I mean, even with that, you can't, you could just pull a guard and the guard can push Jalen. Yeah. He's just blocking. You just don't have the tight end to it. Yeah. So I think I think they'll be fine. Yeah, so I ended up. I think uh, they have an identity, and that's the thing. Philly has an identity, right? That they can rely on all game long. They should have probably stuck to it in the Super Bowl, but I mean, they really did because they came right back down and scored a touchdown. I mean, they win the Super Bowl if Jalen Hurts doesn't have the fumble. Yeah, well. I think, I mean, granted, it was late in the game. That punt return was huge. Oh, yeah, definitely. Patrick, Patrick Mahomes had less than 200 yards. Past. I don't know how he got that punt return off on that field. Oh, because they got longer <laughs> cleats because the field manager is a lifelong Kansas City fan. And Lamar Hunt, the family foundation, was paying that guy's kids college tuition for life. Yeah, it's always something. I don't know. He just knew that, oh, everybody's over here, and I'm fast, and I'm healthy for the first time all year. I'm just going to run. He had a hell of a Super Bowl, Kadarius. He did. Um, 
But I think I just I think Philly's identity. I think we've we've had these conversations about running backs and running games and things of that nature. And we'll get into this with NFC South Review as a fan of the Falcons. It's on this side now. Um, being able to just control the line of scrimmage. If you can do it on one side of the ball, that's gorgeous. But if you can do it on both sides, like Philly does, like that's why Philly, like they didn't score that many points and Jalen Hurts' stats weren't crazy because they would score 24 points in the first half and go into halftime up 24-9 and then just shut down the opposing team's offense because now they got to throw. You got Fletcher Koch, Brandon Graham, um, Dean, now you add Nolan Smith, Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis is getting to the fold more. So if they can follow that same formula of getting, you know, two, two or three touchdowns in the first half and getting, you know, 17, 20 points in the first half, and then maybe you get an early touchdown in the third quarter and you're up 27, 10, and teams have to throw the ball. And then when they when Philly gets the ball back, even if they don't if they, even if they get one first down, because they run the ball so effectively, that could be five to six minutes off the clock. Mm-hmm. One or two first downs. And then, you know, they break through and they hit you with that the over-the-top pass, A.J. Brown, because you're sick you're sick of the run. You got eight men in the box, and you go man coverage. And, you know, so Philly just has the, the their basic form of how, they, how they're successful makes other teams have to adjust to them. Right. Yep, and they so- can just – and they can just keep running the ball, controlling the clock, and and that's yeah, that's, so, that's why the fifteen and two. Like I said, I don't know if it will happen, but just looking at the schedule, it's like, it's well, I got them, I got them twelve and five. I got Dallas eleven and six. I got the Giants nine and eight, and then bringing up the rear from the nation's capital, but actually in Maryland, is the Commanders. I got them at six and eleven, and I just don't know what to do with them. You know, the defense is good, you know, relatively speaking. Secondary issues, of course, drafted Emmanuel Forbes out of Mississippi State, even though he only weighs about a buck 35, soaking wet. But, you know, he's got a lot of pick sixes, you know, for touchdowns in college. So I guess the idea is you got yourself a pit bull to go battle with the receivers. And, and he know, had a lot of tackles. He was a, he's a big yeah. tackler for a smaller guy. I think yeah. he's like 65 or something like that. That's still pretty small. But I'm scared because this is the NFL now. You know what I mean? You got a you got a quarterback, you know, that was a fifth-round draft pick who I think is a little more talented than a fifth-round draft pick. So maybe he's a fourth-round draft pick. I don't know. But then but then you got uh, Brian Robinson, you know, who came back from getting shot last year. But Many he's your, men. Yeah, but he's your, tra- me. he's your traditional uh, – three yards and a pound in a cloud of dust guy, you know, whereas we still have Antonio Gibson on the roster who I would like to think that someone like Eric Bieniemy can get the ball in space. And, you know, this is one of those, let me get the ball in the hands of my playmakers or get my people that are fast out in space. So maybe he pops off a few runs. He ran for over a thousand as a rookie, you know, and then he fell into the doghouse because he had Tiki Barber fumbleitis. You know, uh, Chase Young is fully back. You know, yeah, Chase Young is fully back, even though there's been some talks about potential trades and all that stuff, but he's back. You know, picked up Cody Barton from Seattle. You know, I do like that 14th in tackles in the league. So, you know, um, and then if you're going to have a young quarterback like that, why not bring in somebody like Jacoby Brissett? 
you know, to, to shore up, mentor, slash, take over if necessary. Yeah, so Reset's not a winner, dog. No, he's not, but 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 you know, but he's a he's you got a stop, six wins, six he's, and yeah. 11. He's a he's a stopgap, he's a stopgap in between if, if you if you need if you need to go get you if you if you need to go get you a quarterback in the draft next year, you know, Jacoby Brissett's a dude you could throw in there and not necessarily mess up your draft position. Ask the Cleveland Browns. I mean, I like Jacoby Reset. I just, I feel like the the defensive talent in division is guaranteeing six losses. For we're not going zero and six in division. You're going zero and six in division. Not going zero and six in division. Zero and six in division, simply because I don't know what your quarterback brings to the table. I know he had the, the the win at the end of the year against I Dallas. I don't know what your quarterback brings to the table. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I know that the Falcons run the hell out of the ball. They were like number one, like top three in rushing, and they're they not a good not not a good offensive team, and still was in the top three in rushing the league. I'm not sure that the Washington offense is in the top, you know, ten or fifteen, and and you know most of the major offensive categories. Which and that's the thing. You got a young quarterback. You have a solid defense. Uh, with got some Allen good receivers. And Washington and, and Chase Young, but Payne. they're talking about moving. Yeah, Payne. You know, so you you have you have like studs up front. The defensive backfield for Washington's always just fast Man. and physical. Always. It's you know your like you know that. your secondary is bad when you got a dude named Wild Goose back there. But they're they're always fast. They're always flying around. It's just is Ron Rivera the right guy for the helm? No. So that's gonna rear that's gonna rear, rear his ugly head. With the enemy being a head coaching candidate, I think that's gonna be the conversation. New ownership, mm-hmm. and your owner your owner is the most famous person associated with the team in Magic Johnson. He's just a partial owner. Well, my, so I my think thought... he's gonna. I think he's gonna draw so much attention. I think it's gonna be so much negative attention. Not this. <coughs> Not negative attention. <laughs> Excuse me. My, my thought has been the enemy doesn't leave Kansas City unless they, someone R- told Rivera is head coach. Yeah, Rivera's going upstairs after this season, you know, because he has been an ambassador for the franchise and everybody's talking about how he changed how he changed <laughs> the how he improved the culture, you know, even under Wild Wild Dan was still there. So like maybe he goes upstairs on some Bruce Arians type move. And then the enemy takes over. Yeah, and that's what I'm coach. saying. None of that translates to wins. When you have when you have that much, like, keep on, Daniel Schneider, the lawsuits, the emails, Gruden, all the, the, the all the tumultuous stuff that was going on behind the scenes. The team never was able to block it out and just win. Right. Dallas always has Jerry Jones issues. Uh, he was upset with players dealing, but he came out and took a knee before the national anthem. You know, there's always like this this Hollywood kind of spotlight on Dallas, but mm-hmm. on the field in the regular season, Dallas always performs. Washington, the, the this these clouds that have loomed over the team have never gone away, mm-hmm. and I don't think they have the personnel or the personalities. To make it go away, 
I think right. what they have is more conflict. Because Magic Johnson with a microphone in his face, that could be your team's worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. You seen him when he quit on when he stepped down for the Lakers in game 81 of LeBron's first year, just at a press conference. It's like that could someone commanding that kind of attention got that commanding commanding that kind of attention in a team that's constantly just, you know, immense and, and turmoil mm-hmm. with a lack of talent. Because if you look at the wide receiver core, the wide receiver core is good. Scary Terry, Samuel, like Jahan Dotson. Those guys are good. Mm-hmm. If the quarterback can't get them the ball, then I'm out here just running for nothing. Quarter wide receivers are getting 28, 26, 28, 30 million dollar contract extensions, contract, free agency, trading five players for them. These guys are looking around like, listen, I can't waste a whole year with this rookie trying to figure it out. And then you're going to get Molly whopped a couple times in division. Well, six times. The the NFC East never goes according to plan. It doesn't, but rookie quarterbacks normally play like rookie quarterbacks. Brock Purdy was an anomaly. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, most most of these guys are anomalies, but it's like young quarterbacks tend to play the way young quarterbacks. Because they they don't see the field. They talk about it like, oh, my second full year, Trevor Lawrence was Mm – Number one high school player from the top, number one player in the country at his position, probably definitely in the state, me even in the country from like eighth grade all the way through Clemson, a couple national championship trips, beat Alabama, gets to Jacksonville, has a terrible coach, bad year, gets Doug Peterson, slowly starts to figure it out, has a big comeback in the playoffs. But he was the prototypical blue chip top flight quarterback. So he was already talented enough to get over that hump. Some of these guys, we'll talk about the Ritters and, you know, Purdy's and Kirk Cousins. And some of these guys take time. Josh Allen, another one of those guys that just, it may take 32 games and then game 30, or now at this point, 34 games and then game 35, you're like, oh, he's figured it out now. Mm-hmm. And it, that's kind of tough with, Washington with the new ownership and they want to clean house and clean the stink off from Daniel Snyder and Ron Rivera's, you know, as a coach, I don't know what the talent level has been in Washington or how people felt about it. I don't know if you as a fan felt like, Oh, we got a playoff caliber team. Uh, uh, so, So just to make it simple and quick, you talked about Philly having an identity. Washington's identity was, we got all the skill positions, but we ain't got an offensive line to save our lives. So you never can be coaching, though. You know, like, like they, they have never, like, in the last, I would say, I would say eight to 12 years, you know. Is that, is that a skill? With, is that, are the offensive linemen, is Kansas City's offensive line that much better than Cleveland's, or is Kansas City's scheme conducive to I think it's what the their scheme. offensive line can provide? I think it's the scheme, you know, because like with Washington, like you know, they had Trent Williams for a long time, you know, but it was Trent Williams and then some other dudes, you know what I mean? And um, over time, you know, you had Bo Scherf and everything, like so. Over time, like. You got better linemen, but then, like, unfortunately, over the last three to four years, there's been a lot of offensive line injuries. So, like, Washington just hasn't been able 
to control the line of scrimmage in that way that you brought up Philly. You know, yeah. defensive defensive line is there. You know, the defensive line is there. Yeah, you know, decent linebackers. The linebackers are pretty good. Uh, secondary, we mentioned awful. So I said the Giants were last in interceptions. Washington was twenty eighth. You know, um, you, you know, so so like, I think Washington. And I went through this as a Florida State fan, like with Bobby Bowden's last couple of years. You had all the receivers that could catch jump balls. You had the quarterbacks that could throw the ball off the stadium, but it didn't matter if he only had a half a second to throw the ball. Yeah, somebody's uh, coming right up the right yeah. up the e gap. Yeah, and this has been going on since Jason Campbell. You know, because I think Jason Campbell was a better quarterback than we remember. He just never really had the chance to live. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's just let Logan Thomas. Can I live? Like, shut up. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, just like Andrew Luck, he just couldn't live. Like, you know, by the time he stepped back, somebody Andrew was Luck in his said, I'm chest. sick of rehab. He was like, you know, I'm Andrew, sick of rehab. Andrew Luck ran on the track like that, 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 and then, you know, said it. Then he ended up with the helmet in his chest, and he got – and now we got Jonathan Taylor trying to work his way out of Indianapolis. Like, you know, I don't know what's going on there, but I know if Ursay dies tonight, and Jonathan Taylor is not in the league tomorrow. You know, the league will go on. It just, I had a conversation with a friend of mine yesterday. She was telling me uh, she's from Maryland and Jersey. She, she was getting hired at a corporation, like a, a you know, a national corporation. So she was using her leverage. And her negotiation with this company, like, listen, you want me to move from Maryland to Jersey, then this is what I need. Living in Maryland, you pay me this much, and this percentage is conducive to life in Maryland. But if you want me to move to Jersey, then you have to up my pay to make it match what I'm getting here. Yeah. I'm not just going to move because you guys want me there. If you want me there, then you need to make it work for me. Right. And everyone was like, oh, you're, you're playing hardball. She was like, what was the difference between, you know, 5% and 8%? She was like, you're asking me, but this major corporation that we work for, they're, they're arguing against me for my 3%. I want my 3%. So who's who's at fault? The billion, multi-billion dollar corporation or me using my leverage? Because it's, it's, like, it's only a few times in your career where you have this leverage. She was like, the fact that they keep calling me is proof that they don't have anyone that's ready to take this job other than me. Right. So if you want me to take this job, then you need to pay me. So she said the contract came back, all of her numbers, she laid it all out. They gave her all her numbers. She's like, so I moved to Jersey. I'm like, that's pretty dope. Using her leverage when it was conducive to her. Jonathan Taylor's trying to use it, but he unfortunately is in a situation where his position isn't also doing it like he needed it for him to make this power move. He needed Eckler, Mixon, Saquon and himself to be in contract negotiations. And then Dalvin cook, who's essentially a free agent after being released by Minnesota to also be on board with, we're not taking it. Not necessarily guys holding on their contracts, but just guys who are like really using their leverage to ensure that the, the price of the brick goes up. 
because with the running back position, the price of work has gone down. And then the expectation just as high because now it's such a passing league. You got to pass block more. You got to catch more passes. Like Saquon has a 65 catch. Uh, see, but that's, Jonathan, but that's Jonathan Taylor's problem is that he's more of that traditional running back than he is the modern day running back. But he, he also catches a lot of catches out of the backfield. He just he has gotten three different quarterbacks, a mm-hmm, couple of different one. head coaches. They have a new head coach that just came in. They have a rookie quarterback. So when you have a rookie quarterback, more likely you're going to give the ball to the running back so many times. And he knows he's going to get 250 touches this year. And at the end of the year, when their record is six and 11 or five and 12, and everyone's fawning over the rookie quarterback who did the best he could in the circumstances and a rookie head coach did the best he could in the circumstances. And Jonathan Taylor's at the table trying to negotiate and I'm like, well, we did go five and 12. Like Saquon has a playoff clause in his contract. It's like his play. Yes. As a, 53-man roster with the practice squad and all the coaches. Everybody had, has a role to play in the playoffs. And even then, his incentives still aren't a million. It's not even a total million dollars. It's like, why is my... Because you could go 9-8 and eight <laughs> and Dallas can go 9-8 and eight and win the tiebreaker. He's like, right. I, I hit 1,200 yards, 8 touchdowns, all this other stuff. But it's like, we lost the tiebreaker because I missed the game. So now I, that impacts my money. You know, so I think Jonathan Taylor is trying to, like, exercise that leverage. I'm not sure if everything needs to be done publicly. Like, because I'm pretty sure my friend, she didn't post her negotiations on Facebook or Instagram. Should he had made this request two weeks ago? I don't think the trade. I think what he should have probably done is gotten in a room and gotten a deal done early. Just sit down. Owner, player, GM, let's get this deal done early. I want to be here. Because if you look at, like, only, I'm only getting five years out of a running back. He's going to his third year. Uh, fourth, I believe. Fourth but, year. But, yeah. So get him get him a two-year deal. Two years, $25 million, 12 and a half each. You get him in, you, you save the locker room. Because we're going to see. There's going to be a few teams where it, when it gets tough in October – and they've played mm-hmm. about six or seven games. Baltimore, it's going to be tough the way they treated Lamar. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Chargers quit quickly giving 265 to or 262 to Justin Herbert and barely want to give Eckler anything. If they are, if they're not performing up the par, that's going to be tough. Josh Allen this year, his, his extension money starts to kick in. He starts getting paid that money. <coughs> It's going to be a lot of teams where the Giants, another team where you played hardball and you 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 tore some fabric in the locker room. Mm-hmm. And winning winning is a great winning is a great band aid. Mm-hmm. If you're not winning, you might as well go ahead and get gangrene in that cut because it's going to rear its ugly head. Like what's the boy name was not Zay Flowers? Who's the guy that was already there in Baltimore who went to Twitter? When they were talking, when the the GM said, uh, "Was it Bateman? Was it Bateman? Rashad Bateman? Ba- Bateman, mm-hmm. yeah." So when the GM said, "We don't have the wide receivers," yeah, 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 he immediately went to Twitter or X or whatever it's called now and deleted it. He's like, "Yo, that that's your job." Yeah, it's your job to, to get 
get the <laughs> and this is before they signed Lamar. So you mean to tell me Rashad Bateman's gonna be over that? <coughs> right. Because what if he goes into the game, he only gets two targets? Right. Who's he who's he mad at? Is he mad at Lamar? Is he mad at the new offensive coordinator? Is he gonna have a great with the GM? Is he gonna want to get out of town? Is he gonna be mad at Odell? Is Odell taking him too many shots? Is his hamstring gonna be tight? Mm-hmm. You know, do I it's need to get this check and get a, do I need do I need to get this checked out? I need to get an MRI, I need a massage, I need this, I need the recovery little pants. You know, so I think a lot of these these owners, I get that you wanna you wanna be the big fish and you wanna be the boss when it comes to negotiating. Jerry Jones had kind of backfired because they, they felt like he gave away a lot of his leverage. But Dallas has had some good years. Mm-hmm. Jason Garrett had a couple of average years, but Dallas has some good years. Granted, the attendance is good. They had some good players. Um, you know, they've had double-digit wins, playoff bursts. If it wasn't for an Aaron Rodgers rolling to the left, just outstanding pass to that tight end, they probably would have won that game. You know, so it was like hey, don't forget uh what Skip Bayless call him Mason Crossbar. Yeah, so <laughs> I mean, like it just these these things happen. So I think as an owner, instead of looking at your players like, oh, these guys just want money from you, I'm like, you just want money from your negotiations. So if you're negotiating with the city of Dallas about getting this stadium built, you're not going to just immediately want to give up 1.1 billion and ask them for 400 million. You're like, oh, I want a 1.5 billion dollar stadium. Uh, can y'all give me 1.5 billion dollars? That's where you would start, and you would say, right. oh, this is how much money that the team's going to generate. And they're like, well, give us 500 million, and we'll give you, we'll give you, you know, the 1 billion bet. You know, whatever the case may be, but you're not going to go into a negotiation where you just give up all your leverage. So why would you expect your players to do that? Right. So I think it just it would behoove the the owners to just really sit down. Like, listen, I'm going to give you more than this guy. I gonna guarantee it. And then I want you to be a leader in the locker room. I want you to show because that leadership can galvanize players. But this tearing at these fabrics is it's tough because. Every, everyone's not going to get paid. Tackles are going to get paid. Defensive ends are going to get paid. Wide receivers are going to get paid. Corner. Safety's corner, corner safety. They're starting to get their money a little bit more, but not as much because now they're starting to kind of the, – the development of corners is starting to catch up to the development of quarterbacks and wide receivers. But these 707 camps and drills, you're getting a lot more NFL-ready corners because – the college game is going to more pro style. So they're starting mm-hmm. to see more cover three schemes versus like the crazy stuff we should see in NCAA where it's just like five dudes in the middle of the zone and it's like everybody's wide open because yeah. there's no spread. So now got a lot of more pro style coaches going to the NFL, a lot of former players coaching college teams. So you're getting more NFL ready corners and then they're getting their money, you know, on time or early in certain cases. So just a matter of the owners just have to just take in the back seat. Like, listen, most of these guys, the team isn't even like their biggest thing. Like the team is something they bought with money they earned from something else. Mm-hmm. You know, either money they earned from owning another team or money they own from real estate or hedge tech, fund management, oil. tech, oil, like something else it was like, yeah, you own the 49ers, but you really, you also own, you know, miracle.com and you know you made you got evaluated like four billion dollars off of that so it was like why are you penny pinching the football team that's generating money those 16 dollar beers and 14 dollar hot dogs and 12 dollar garlic burgers like yeah you're getting all that money too so it's like 
That's why that's why I always struggle unrelated. That's why I always struggle with Mark Cuban. Because I'm like, Dirk really changed the way we look at him, you know, because you know, he wasn't willing to pay Steve Nash. You know, after they won the championship, he broke it all apart. So it's like that one year and what Dirk went through and who he beat on the way to the finals and in the finals shapes the whole narrative of how we look at Mark Cuban as an owner. Yeah, but Mark Cuban says something pretty profound when I was I saw him on a when Bill Simmons had a TV show on HBO, and it was Mark Cuban. He was this guy named Malcolm Glazer. He's like an economist, but he does a lot mm-hmm. of sports economists. And then Bill Simmons. And this was a few years ago after the Clippers sold for $2 billion. And Malcolm Glazer asked Mark Cuban, he was like, would you sell the Mavericks for $3 billion? He was like, what am I going to do with another $3 billion? He's like, I already have $3 billion. <laughs> he was like, I have the team because I like having the team. I like being the owner of the team. And I like what he does. I think he just was smart. Like, he just didn't want to pay, you know, everybody. Because you won a championship. A lot of guys think they should be overpaid because that's the ultimate goal. It's like, cool. Yeah, you won a championship, but you still only average 12 points all year. I'm not going to pay you like you average 21 points. Because we won a championship. He ever Mr. Logical Reason. with the shots at Bruce Brown. <laughs> I mean, like somebody, like somebody will give Max Struess fifty million dollars. Somebody's yeah, gonna give Gabe. He got sixty-four. 60 then you got Gabe Vincent in LA. He getting eleven million a year, and it's like you see what happened when guys go play. I mean, LeBron's been better off the ball, but it's like you made it this far. You're gonna get your money. Um, so. But these owners, they just got to really just like, listen, what's better for my team? Mm-hmm. Not the cap. What's better for my team? We saw Golden State, granted, basketball is a different sport, but money is money. We watched them pay to keep their co- pay for Kevin Durant, pay to keep their core in place after Kevin Durant left, and it got them three championships after they started paying people because they got the original one. And people have they were making like regular mm-hmm. NBA star money, nothing crazy. Then they lose in the finals. They bring in KD. They have him for three years. Clay gets hurt. They don't go like you know what? Uh, 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 pay Clay. And even Brooklyn. Brooklyn was like, cool. Kevin Durant's hurt. Pay Kevin Durant. And if they could have kept the conduit together, Brooklyn, Brooklyn still would be a favorite right now if they would have still had Spencer Dinwiddie Carousel. if they'd ever made the James Harden trade yeah they would be top three in the east they would have been top three in the east that year last year this upcoming year like they still would be they would be competing with Milwaukee they'd be ahead of the Knicks and Boston every year with just Kyrie KD because you would have gotten you probably could have. You probably could have made a move and got another big man, but that's what Golden State did. Golden State kept it together, and they got Wiggins. They made the yeah. deal for Wiggins. And now, James, you know, you know what spells loser when you trying to go to the Clippers on purpose. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, and I'm tired of people saying that Harden is better than D Wade. Not even close. I'm not tired of close. it. Not even close. 
Like, it's not even close. I like James Harden, and prime James Harden was very entertaining. But even then, you didn't think he was better than anybody else. Even if he won MVP, you wouldn't have taken James Harden over any of the other top six players in the league. Right. Like, James Harden, would you, you wouldn't have taken him over Steph. You wouldn't have taken him over LeBron. You wouldn't have taken him over KD. You wouldn't have taken him over... Well, Gian- it was like, maybe Giannis back then. Maybe. But maybe not. So, because he didn't play any defense. Right. That was, he was notorious for not playing any defense. And now he's literally just running from the best team. Well, granted, Houston was, wasn't the great team, but he just, he talked his way out of Houston, goes to Brooklyn with a former MVP and two, two guys who won NBA championships. Who were basically mercenaries with their skill set, like what Kyrie and what Katie bring to a basketball team, and you're James Harden. You add that, you're like, oh, we, we about to get six dudes from Rucker Park, and we about to win fifty games in, yeah. in the NBA. And it's like you can't stay healthy. Like you, and now he's you can't from stay MVP. healthy. Now you're like, oh, I got a teammate. I just won MVP. I want to leave. Where are you going? Like if you want to be in LA that bad, then okay, more power to you. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to tell you. You know, you're a grown man. You go where you want to go. I'm just thinking logistically. It's like if you're trying to if you're trying to go to LA, look at the Carmelo Denver New York trade. I don't know why people don't look at history. It's like, listen, that trade crippled the Knicks, and it didn't really do much for Denver either. Right. I mean, granted, you know as as the butterfly effect, they end up getting, you know, Murray and Jokic and everything else and Malone, you know, and it worked out. But that initial trade, sending those guys from New York to Denver didn't do much for either franchise. Right. It made Carmelo happy-ish. He got to go to New York. It made the NBA happy because they needed a star in New York that they can put on Christmas Day and he can put up, what do you got, 62 points, zero assists, mm-hmm. zero rebounds, zero yep. steals. Yeah. So, like, you can have those kind of moments because it's Carmelo. But as far as a basketball move, he was better off just playing a season on Denver and then sign as a free agent in New York next year starting off fresh. Because it's not like they were going to trade all these players and he was going to, like, run them through the playoffs. Right. You still had LeBron in the East back then. So it was like, I need every – I need all hands on deck. Be like, no, nah, I'm going to send – Eighty of these hands to Denver <laughs> with some draft picks, and then hope that I can beat Wade. Right. And yeah, so it is what it is. If I was an agent, I'd be fired. Oh uh, yeah, I would never, I would never get to anywhere because I would just tell the truth, and people don't like the truth in business. I've learned that. People, yeah, definitely. Yeah, people don't like the truth in sports. They don't like it. You know, you want a, what is it? You want a pretty lie or the ugly truth? <laughs> when you're pissing your pocket, tell you it's raining. You know I saying? can't do it. I will not do it. That's what they love in America. We love you. You know, thanks for the support. Like, review, subscribe. It's free. We will be back in a few days, probably talking about the NFC South. You know, Zach's the logical want to get his. Falcon thing off. He want to tell us about how the Falcons are about to go 11 and 6. You Yo, I got some thoughts. I'm saying that's all I got. I got some thoughts. He got some that's thoughts. 
You know what I'm saying? But yo, sports reports is ordered. Once again, he is Mr. Logical. I am 2-5, and we are out. Peace.